0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by Triple A. Triple A Roadside is their strong side. Make a triple A a part of your game day today. Triple A, go ahead.
0: With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
2: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, driven by AAA.
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got another week of college football action in the books. We've got some serious football that was played this weekend, the ACC, the Big 12, both taking the field. We've got some SEC football on the horizon, but we've got a lot of uh, breaking news to talk about. We're going to do all of that with Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler going to join me once again to talk through some of our biggest takeaways from the weekend. We've got some news to talk about. We've got some more opt-outs and declarations for the 2021 NFL Draft, so we're going to cover all of that at the top of the Show after that we've got on the clock where Chris McPherson returns to the show. The four of us are going to debate who is the top defensive tackle in this draft. Really fun conversation that you guys are going to enjoy. And then we're going to wrap it up with our draft mailbag. We got a good question from you guys at home. As a quick reminder, before we get into the show, best way to throw us your support. I hope you guys are enjoying the new format, the new games, the energy. The you know, football is back. Hope you guys uh, have enjoyed so far. If you like what you hear the best way to throw us your support, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, then guess what? We will answer it here on the show in our draft mailbag. If you have a suggestion for a topic for our uh, on-the-clock segment, if you want to debate for us, hey, guess what? We're going to do it in an on-the-clock. So if you've got anything that you want to throw our way, just go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us that rating. Leave it in the comment section, and we will get to it here on the show. All right, plenty to cover here today. Let's start it off now with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, back again for another edition of Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. Guys, uh, it was great to have a, a full weekend of college football. Obviously, still no uh, SEC yet, but we still got some Big 12. We got some ACC. Potentially some big news from the Big Ten, hopefully, here. It seems like at the moment of this recording, we're recording this, 3.05 on Monday, and optimism as uh, ben put it right before we started recording oozing from the the people that cover
2: this that it looks like the big 10 could be returning guys that'd be awesome you know you, you just look around the sports world and so many sports are making it happen college and pros uh even high school even youth leagues you know it's it's something that i think a lot of us can agree that they jumped the gun on the big 10's decision and I feel like there's been a little bit of movement in terms of their comfort with uh, the medical process and just the daily routine, what they can do to make sure everyone feels safe. So you know, But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the coaches think, even what Commissioner Warren thinks. It comes down to the presidents. And who knows the information they're getting exactly? Who knows? I mean, politics are always involved. So I think just staying optimistic is definitely – what we're trying to do, but uh, hopefully we have some good news this week.
0: You have to imagine the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are feeling a little envious of the other college football being played, oh, yeah. and 98% of it being played pretty safely. Obviously, there's been some outbreaks and little flare-ups here and there, a couple postponements, but I just feel like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten would be, by default, Rooting for the conferences playing to have issues so they can justify their decisions. So I'm happy that they're kind of turning that page into we're ready to play. How do we do that safely? When can we do it? Rather than trying to justify the fact that they decided to postpone as a preventative measure, which is tough to equate. Because if you don't have anything to balance that against, you don't know if those preventative measures were needed or not needed. So in order to justify their decisions, it's almost like they're being encouraged to have outbreaks or issues with the teams that played.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be just interesting to follow over the next couple of days. And really, I mean, by the time you're listening to this at home, news could be out that big 10 is going to come back, whether it's mid October, mid November, try and get something done. Did release on college game day last week, the PAC 12, that they're, looking into or I've come to an agreement with some company that is doing very rapid testing uh, and they're hoping that that'll allow them to come back hopefully uh, in the middle of the fall and uh, we'll see but as I transition here and I, this will be like a very loose transition last week I talked about the college game day interview where you, know, you heard about the news with the Pac-12 this week on college game day Tom Rinaldi sat down with Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence and I feel like this was kind of known like kind of very we kind of assumed but Trevor Lawrence saying, yeah, like, I'm planning for this to be my last year, said he plans to graduate in December, which, by the way, that does make him eligible for the Senior Bowl, and that's something that uh, Ohio State's Justin Fields, uh, North Dakota State's Trey Lance, you know, if we're, any other these top quarterbacks that are underclassmen wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity. So Trevor Lawrence would be eligible for the Senior Bowl, would be another avenue for him to be able to kind of prove himself on a big stage. But, no, the big news, Tom Rinaldi getting out of Trevor Lawrence that – He is planning on this year being his last down at Clemson. Dane, uh, obviously not really a shock, right?
2: No, I think we expected that. And whenever he was going to come out, you know, you might as well just pencil him in at the top of the draft uh, as the number one pick, at least the favorite to be the number one pick. And it looks like it's going to be next April, the 2021 class. And I think that's what we expected. He's just – he's so talented, so unique. Character-wise, you know, you check that box uh, with what he brings. And you you can – See this off season, his voice was becoming. He's becoming more comfortable in the leadership yeah. role and developing that voice on the field. I know his Wake Forest, and outside of Boogie Basham, they don't have a ton going for him on defense. But there's not a throw he can't make out there, and he, he just he looked really, really impressive. And you know, he's still 20 years old. You know, he's a guy that's going to get better and better, I think. And so it's. Uh, not a surprise that he'll be part of the 2021 class.
0: And I think the feeling's kind of mutual because they are really excited about the kid behind Trevor Lawrence as well, who's a big six four, two 240-pound Hawaiian. What's his DJ- name? You don't want to DJ- say his uh, name? Man. Yeah. yeah, what's his name? He goes by DJ, guys. He goes by DJ. His friends call him DJ. Yeah, he's got a long last name there. are Ungulele? Lele, something not, like that. If you, yet, watch, somebody, I, if you watch yeah. one of the episodes or the seasons of QB one with real oh, Mitchell, we go. he was the backup to real Mitchell, which actually real got bench some games and this sophomore tank came in and just won these games with his arms and his legs. Never mention QB one. Great series guys. You can also <laughs> watch new quarterback at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler in that season as well. To get a little perspective.
1: Ben still cashing checks for, uh, for QB one. Got to put mentioned. the plugs in. Got to yeah, put the plugs right, in. Yeah. Got to, something, to turn the lights on every night guys let's get to uh our opt-outs because we got a few a handful more of opt-outs guys that have opted out of the 2020 season and declared for the 2021 nfl draft and the big news like from the last you know we'll say 12 hours or so we've got an ohio state corner sean wade who we're gonna get to in a second but texas a&m wide receiver jamon Osbin, uh who declared for the draft and he is a senior he was on the senior bowl top 250 I don't know if either of you guys have done them. The only thing I've got on Osmond, uh, I talked with his former teammate, Kendrick Rogers, who told me he was going to be the best receiver in the SEC next year. Obviously, pretty high praise and considering who else is in the SEC. But um, they are a big-bodied kid I know that they had high hopes for. Uh, ben, what was your initial thought when you saw Jamon Ozbin, uh declaring for the draft, opting out of uh,
0: 2020? I was just a little disappointed because the SEC is playing – his high school quarterback and college quarterback, Kellen Mann, really needs him this year. And Kellen Mann's a guy that's got a lot of varying evaluations and a strong year, can really put himself into the conversation on being a early day three, maybe a late day two quarterback. He's got a lot of tools. He's really interesting. It's just a shame that his number one receiving, you know, option's not going to be there. Uh, So a little disappointed, but Osman, big-time recruit, IMG Academy, four-star, played with Grant Delpit and Dylan Moses and Cesar Ruiz, and like I had mentioned, Kellen Mann over there as well. Pretty well-rounded kid. He's 6'2", 225, really good blocker on the perimeter. He's good off the field as well. He's won all these Attitude Awards, Offensive Skill Blocker Awards, Strength and Conditioning Awards. Led the team in receiving last year with a pretty pedestrian 66 catches for 872 and five touchdowns. He was going to be the go-to guy. But it's not just opting out of the season. He's opting out and going to the NFL draft. So I question a little bit the decision and what some, uh, some of the people in his ear may be telling him his evaluation and grade is right now.
2: Yeah, and you know, when I was watching Courtney Davis last year uh, at A&M, I liked Osmond uh, a little more. I, I don't know that there's anything special about his skill set. Uh, average size, average speed – I mean, you you said well-rounded, and I think that makes sense, Ben, because nothing jumped out as special, but I didn't necessarily see any. You know, he wasn't extremely deficient in any one of those areas uh, either, but I need to dive in and do more tape on him because I know, uh, know, talking to scouts about him, he had some mid-round grades over the the summer, uh, but obviously that takes into account a projection based off of getting getting better throughout his senior year, and unfortunately just that that won't happen. And, yeah, you have to see how that affects Bond as well. I think that's a a very good point.
1: Uh, So Stanford tackle Walker Little uh, made the announcement over the weekend as well. The Pac-12 obviously not playing right now. The thing with Walker Walker Little, guys, obviously was a a very, you know, highly acclaimed recruit coming in, was a freshman starter. But we really only got the full first season. We, you know, he only played one game last year in northwest against Northwestern, uh, played that one game, and, and that was it for Walker Little in 2019. So what do we have? I mean, we've got 13, 14 games of starting tape for Walker Little, and the last of it we saw was over a year ago. So it'll be a year and a half, 18 months before he's taking the field again, you know, when he takes the field for an NFL team or when he gets drafted. I mean, that's a that's a big projection for Walker Little, very talented player. Um, you know, he puts the work in is a great kid away from the field, but definitely a projection. And with so much up in the air with the Pac-12, uh, it's hard to, to fault him, I guess. Just uncharted waters. There's just so much projection that's going to be involved with this draft, guys.
0: Well, yeah, Fran, it's not just being away for 18 months. It's being away for 18 months and coming off a major knee injury. Yeah. Yep. So it's, you know, you want to see how he looks, how he rebounds. These kids are balls of clay already from 18 to 23 years old, being off the field with the injury, going through the pandemic. Who knows what some of these kids are going to come in or out of this whole situation looking like maybe putting on some weight or, you know, maybe not right mentally. So a lot of questions when you haven't been on the field for, you know, two full seasons.
2: And we talked about it a little bit with Rondell Moore having missed uh, a bulk of the uh, 2019 season and then, of course, not playing this year as an opt-out. And it's a little different because with Rondell Moore, we know more about him. He's a phenomenal athlete, just a little undersized. Uh, There's some projection involved with him as a downfield receiver. But with an offensive lineman, it's just a little little tougher because that offensive line, it's all about the technical side and it's all about – developing and getting better and he's missing a big chunk of his development uh, the last two years and so I wasn't blown away by his 2018 tape either I thought he had good size looks the part but average average feet Uh, there were times where outside speed would stress him inside speed uh, could attack him as well I thought he was too much of a catch blocker so we're talking about a guy who's talented but the development just hasn't been there and how do you it's really tough to put a draft grade on that and so I think there's a good chance we see Walker Little as being a very volatile draft projection from team to team and then in the media and I I think it's going to be all over the place with him. You know I thought he looked really good in 2018 that sophomore
0: season but just like Andre Dillard looked really good as well I didn't feel like the Pac-12 had a lot of for lack of a better word, dogs off the edge, you know, that year. Guys that really tested him or had NFL caliber pedigree. So, you know, I do want to see him against some better competition, whether that comes, you know, potentially in the senior bowl if he's graduated or at the next level. You're kind of ready for that next step for Walker Little.
1: Staying along the offensive line, guys. Uh, Dane, I know I'll go to you first on this one. For Wyatt Davis, uh, a guy I know you're very high on. Um, you know, Ben and I have both done it. Ben, I don't want to speak for you. I know that, uh, Dane, you you definitely feel a little bit better about Wyatt Davis and the projection than I do. Um, but I think when you look at him, Talented kid, you know he's got light feet. There's natural strength there. He never really looked overwhelmed uh, on contact when I watched him. I think from a technique standpoint, there are certainly uh, some areas where he can improve. I don't see a consistently powerful guy. Doesn't have proven position versatility, which he wasn't going to get by going back for another year anyway. So I think really, you know, we're looking at Wyatt Davis as a prospect and projecting him moving forward. You know, it's going to be really interesting you have you feel like he could be I don't want to speak for you but like a top 25 kind of guy uh, at this point in the in the process
2: I think it's possible yeah with Wyatt Davis I just see a guy who I don't know that will ever make a pro bowl but I think he's going to be a, a starter for the next 10 years and be a reliable guy and you know for a lot of NFL teams that are struggling on the offensive line that sounds pretty appealing a guy that can plug in I think he'll start from day one And he's a guy that's not going to hurt you out there. I see a guy with a quick mental processor can understand what's happening very quickly and adjust a good athlete. Uh, I think he has some stopping power to him. So he's not going to get bullied. You're right about uh, just needing to continue to grow uh, with his mechanics and just the basic fundamentals. But this is a guy that can tie up defenders with his hands and just has a, has an understanding of what to do out there. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Wyatt Davis. I think he has a chance to be a top 25 pick and, be a guy that that teams look at as maybe not a huge upside player, but you know what you're getting, or at least you have a good feeling for what you're getting, getting a plug-and-play starter for a, a number of years beyond his rookie contract. I feel like these interior guys
0: come in in all different shapes and sizes these days. And you look at last year's class, you have guys like Solomon Kinley and Damian Lewis that are, you know, pushing 340. You look at Wyatt Davis, he's more in that 310, 315 range. He has really good movement as well with that kind of play strength. I think he's going to be a really good fit in the NFL for any type of scheme. He's good on the move. He stays latch. He can play vertically as well in those pass sets. He's a really good looking player.
1: So let's go to staying at Ohio State. We're going to go to the defensive side of the ball. And this came out on Monday morning. Uh, Sean Wade, the corner from Ohio State, who, guys, we talked about him in our Big Ten preview a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we all liked Sean Wade on film. We liked what he has put on tape over the last couple of years, mainly in the slot. But he was going to be an outside corner for Ohio State this year. And now he's not – obviously, we're not going to have that film of him. You know, he is on schedule to graduate. So maybe he's got the opportunity to go to the senior bowl. And that, that would be the a perfect opportunity for a redshirt junior, not just a redshirt junior go and further prove himself at the senior bowl, but for a guy who couldn't play in the fall and didn't play in the fall. Now to go down there, we talked about this with Jim Nagy last week, now has the ability to go to Mobile and really kind of I mean, really boost his stock this year, where it's a little bit different than you know a normal year. So I and mean, we talked, we all you know value the senior bowl every single year. But I feel like this year in particular with a guy like Sean Wade. There's no tape of him. Very little tape of him playing on the outside. He can go down to Mobile and you know whether it's a, a full week or two weeks, like we talked about last week with Jim, and he could really show. Yeah, like I can be an outside corner in the NFL. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, just the projection with a Sean Wade. D- Dane, we'll come to you first. Your thoughts uh, on the Sean Wade decision.
2: It's tough because, you know, he he came back to show he could be an outside corner, to prove he's a first-round pick. And with Arnett and Okuda now in the NFL, this was his chance. And uh, with all the optimism around the Big Ten right now, I thought it was pretty surprising to see him make this jump now, having not been able to to prove that he can be a consistent outside guy. And I think he has the skills to do it. I think that's where he's best uh, because he's not a sudden athlete. And there were times – where inside receivers will just uh, eat him up with their athleticism, but he's big, he's physical, he can run. He's not uh, a deficient athlete, but I just, I think he's set up to be an outside corner, but you know, there, there's still a lot of things he needs to work on Uh, his discipline at the line of scrimmage, uh, his mechanics and his transition. We want to see better ball production. So Sean Wade's a a really interesting projection. Like all these guys Uh, I've talked to, some scouts that have a third round grade on him. Some scouts think he'll be a first round pick, and so the how the process plays out. You we know, we talked about this last week with you know like a Jamie Newman. The Senior Bowl is going to be huge. Uh, hopefully he accepts his invite. Uh, he did graduate, so he is eligible. Uh, but so much emphasis will be put on that week and how he performs that uh, it's kind of putting your all all your eggs in one basket. So uh, I can understand why he made this decision, but you know it's something that uh, is going to be a really important draft process for him. You know, speaking of the senior bowl in these process,
0: I feel like a lot gets determined down in that week for positional versatility or if you're a safety, a corner, a nickel. And I go to think about guys like Rocky Sin or a Demarius Randall or even like a Sean Davis out of Maryland with those kind of hybrid skill sets. You played corner, but you're probably projecting to be more of a middle of the field defender. And yeah. that's okay. There's a skill set and a no value question. for that in the yeah. NFL. And I just see too much issues with Sean Wade on the inside and his coverage. Like you mentioned, those smaller, quick slot receivers can give him trouble at times. I think his turn and run is a little labored at times, a little stiff-hipped at times. When he sees it, he can run in a linear line and chase plays like no athlete in the country. Just get a little bit worried about his just nuance on being a true cover player. And I think we're, we need to think a little bit more in the mold of those other guys, the Rocky Sins, Demarius Randall, Sean Davis, that might come up and guard some tight ends in the NFL.
1: So, Ben, I'm going to come to you next uh, with this one. We, we have the two Oregon corners uh, both decide that they are going to come out. We talked about Penny Sewell last week. Uh, Dane, I didn't think there was anything really uh, to add on, on the Penny Sewell discussion. Yeah, you know, We all know that he's an elite player. But both Diamador Lenore and Thomas Graham, both of the corners, uh, opting out and declaring for this draft. Uh, what were your thoughts on those two guys and, and that decision there? We talked a little bit about both in our Pac-12 preview. I think I liked Lenore a little bit more than Graham. I think if I remember right, you liked Graham a little bit more than Lenore. So I'm interested to get uh, your thoughts on both guys, and then, Dane, will come to you after.
0: Yeah, two guys that have played a lot of football probably could have both come out last year as well, Uh, both being seniors heading into this year and a deep, deep secondary group where I didn't know where they were going to distribute all these snaps. They had a bunch of seniors, up-and-coming juniors, true freshmen that were studs, sophomores. But just for the full picture, Lenore, thick body, boundary corner, struggles with his athleticism doesn't have really that straight line speed not a click and close guy and then uh Thomas Graham is much more I think that press corner with loose hips that you know has the skinny legs he's twitchy can click and close has the long speed those oily hips and press coverage and I think the good comparison for NFL fans you go to the Los Angeles Chargers I think Thomas Graham is like Casey Hayward And I think or Lenore is more like a Desmond King Hmm, coming out of Iowa who had a lot of questions about his athleticism. His speed immediately converted to nickel and is one of the best nickels in the NFL right now. So I think they're both good football players, just different
2: strokes for different folks and different style defensive backs. That's interesting. Uh, I I, I saw it just a little different because I saw – I I would bet Lenore is going to run a better 40 than Graham. Um, Interesting. you know that's just straight line speed. You know maybe not necessarily a short area of quickness, but I agree with you know part of what you said too. Uh, Lenore is a really good tackling corner, and I think that's part of why I, I lean Lenore over Graham. Saw a guy that stays balanced in his transition, doesn't lose speed uh, when he makes his movements out there. I want to see him be a little bit better locating down the field, but a, a guy that I, I really thought could be a mid round pick, and then with Graham. I thought he. I wanted to see more from his reactions, his reflexes. You know, there were times where you saw drive and make a play, whether it was in the passing game or uh, you know making a tackle. But wanted to see it more consistently with him. So I did like Lenore a little bit better, but I think you know both these guys are draftable somewhere in the in the mid rounds. I, I, my guess would be rounds four to six.
1: Interesting. I, I kind of lend on your uh, on your boat there, Dane, in terms of how I saw both guys. So let's get in now to the, this weekend's action. Plenty of football to talk about. I'm going to give out my game ball, guys. I'll go first here. I watched a lot of the uh, Duke-Notre Dame game. Kyron Williams, the sophomore running back. And I know we typically save the game ball for guys who are draft eligible, but I was just so impressed with this kid. 5'9", 195, number 23. It's his first year as a starter. Built low to the ground. He was really tough to get down one-on-one. I thought he broke a bunch of tackles, made some people miss, had over 200 all-purpose yards on offense. And also, just a little note, I probably tweeted this out Saturday night, great scouting by former Notre Dame corner uh, Troy Pride, who's now down with the Carolina Panthers. He told me at the Senior Bowl that Kyron Williams was going to be a star. Through one game, uh, that, that scouting seems to have turned out. Really like what Kyron Williams did, excited for his future moving forward. Again, 5'9", 200, uh, so you get a, a sense of the build. But I thought he had some juice. He, he had the ability to, to create some big plays uh, for that Notre Dame offense. Dane, uh,
0: who got your game ball here this week? Hey, Fran, did Jafar Armstrong play for Notre Dame? Nah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he did.
2: He yeah. he yeah, Armstrong did play, and that's what I was going to mention, that a lot of people expected Armstrong to be the mm-hmm. starter for the Irish this year. Uh, but it was, yeah, Kyron Williams won the the running back battle. Uh, we saw a little bit of Armstrong play, but it, it was Williams' show, and yeah, he yep. he he showed out. It was a really impressive day by him.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say yeah, he played, but not as much as uh, as you would have. As you <laughs> not would have as, as much, not people. as
2: well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Dane. Dane, who gets your game ball? My game ball goes to Jonathan Adams, Arkansas State, who was a big part uh, of that upset over Kansas State. Eight catches, ninety-eight yards, three touchdowns. And his best catch uh, was called back and didn't count. Uh, that one-handed grab, that just there was just a slight bobble uh, as he went down out of bounds. Uh, just a, such an impressive day by him. And this is a guy that entered the year as a borderline draft pick. Some had late-round grades on him. I would say more had PFA grades on him, talking about pro scouts. And he's uh, you know, a talented guy who needed a strong season, and he's off to a really good start. He's verified – 206 pounds, 33-inch arms. Not a guy that's going to blow by you. The speed will be a question mark for him. I want to see him be a little bit better with his sink and snap and his routes. But he's so physical to the football. Uh, You see the body control. You see a large strike zone where quarterbacks just kind of throw to an area. and He has the ability to adjust and attack. So really impressed with uh, Jonathan Adams. I wouldn't call him a locked draft pick just yet But he is trending that way with the way he's been playing uh, on this early season. I feel like those catch point plays really represent his
0: skill set and how he's probably going to make his money at the next level uh, if he wants to be successful there. But, guys, it pained me not to pick Brevin Jordan. I thought I had my player all lined up after Thursday. Only had three catches, but those three catches showed the full package. The yak, the nice speed cut touchdown. He had a nice catch uh, dealing with some contact at the catch point. But we're going to change gears here after watching some games Saturday. Travis Etienne, man, this is a professional against kids out here, guys. This guy looks different on the field than everybody else. And he had 102 yards rushing, 47 receiving yards on three catches, on 45 snaps. It's nearly eight yards per touch. Sudden, sudden explosive speed. Goes zero to 60 in an instant. You could see it on the little dump off they gave him over the middle where he just accelerated past the second and third levels or the, my favorite play was the sprint draw, and you give this guy alleys and space, and it turns into a, you know, a spread-like running game, oof, he That's just where he's looks, lethal. Like, the
1: draw plays – that's
0: completely different. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: He's, he's awesome on those draw plays. Like, that's where he is. When things are, like, well-defined for him and give him an alley, forget about it. That's where, like, big play potential all day. All right, so let's go next to our one-play takeaway. Ben, I'm going to come to you first for this one. Uh, one play that stood out most to you from the weekend.
0: Well, we can't go with Asante Samuel Jr. and not mention both interceptions here. So we're going to skirt the rules just a little bit. But really quick, I feel like both picks kind of represented his skill set in that he may not be a true press man corner at the next level. He might be a guy that has to slide inside or maybe even move to safety or free safety. So one of his picks was play over the top. And then the other pick was he was in zone coverage and jumped the shallow cross. And I feel like those both kind of represent how he's going to be viewed and projected at the next level? Really good ball skills. I think he's a smart player. I just don't know if he's going to have the pure speed and you know the technique to be a press man corner at the next level. I'm not sure if you or uh, Dane have watched him yet, Fran.
1: I, I watched him and I, and I did like him. I was just glad that he came up with those those big plays because you talked about him in our in our preview late in the week last week. You highlighted that matchup between him and Jalen Camp. I mentioned Sa- Samuel only had one career interception coming into the into the weekend. Comes out with two on the day, Dan.
2: That was a good point because he got his hands on a lot of footballs last year. He had like 14 or 15 pass breakups, but only one pick. And so for him to double that in the opener this year was big for him. And, yeah, when I was working on my cornerback preview up on the Athletic, The first four were really easy for me with Sertain and Farley and Wade and Kendrick. And then I struggled with that fifth guy. Uh, You know, it was it JC Horn, Tyson Campbell, you know, some of the other Georgia kids. But then I watched Asante Samuel. And I was okay, that's, that's my fifth guy. He finds his speed immediately really quick footed. Uh, He can anticipate routes uh, very aggressive. I was surprised he only had one pick last year, but to his credit, uh, really showed out in the opener this season Uh, for my one play takeaway. I'm kind of, going the way Ben did because I, I find it hard just to pick one play and Fran if you watch that Duke Notre Dame game you, you certainly took notice of Wu Jeremiah Awusu koromara the linebacker who had a really uh, a big forced fumble uh, using that length uh, just ripping the ball out or punching the ball out really he had a sack late in the game where you just saw that explosive speed so this is a player that just he's a little bit of a hybrid but you, you see the explosiveness, uh, you see the natural instincts, and it seemed like the more responsibilities that the Notre Dame and Clark Lee and that defense, they give him, the more he responds and responds in a positive way. So uh, Wu is a linebacker. I, I ranked pretty high in my top 50 board. I think he was 31, something around there. And mm. he didn't let me down with the way he played against Duke. The classic, Ben,
1: the, the classic halfway overhang player that you and I have discussed on the show uh, so many times. Excited to get your notes on uh, Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa as we move Well, actually, I was trying to dig him up
0: really fast, but I couldn't figure out if I put him as an edge, a linebacker, a safety, a nickel, because <laughs> he plays all over the field. But he's, again, a really versatile player, athletic player, and he's really going to show out whenever he gets into his shorts and t-shirts at places like uh, the Scouting Combine. He's a really, really explosive athlete.
1: Yeah, and I think another guy that kind of fits that mold, is, plays in a different position, is Syracuse safety Andre Sisco had a really impressive interception over the top, playing in the post against North Carolina. We talked about that matchup with Ross Tucker last week in our Pick 6 segment. Cisco uh, patrolling the middle of the field. He's been so productive uh, over the course of his career. He's going into his true junior year, uh, just keeps adding to that interception total. And typically, when you've got – consistent production in college that is something that typically will project to the NFL if you play especially on defense you know I think when you look at what Cisco has done he gives up some big plays too though not just in the run game where he's got to get better as a tackler but in the passing game because he's not a, a guesser per se but he is a fast flow player where he reacts to that first thing he sees and if he's right he is on top of it, and he's got the range and the, the ability to finish that you want. But he can also get moved in the back end as well. So, certain, some areas of improvement needed for Cisco. But uh, good to see him. You know, those ball skills uh, still very much on display out there for that orange defense. By the way, my one play Man, That's kind of
0: like what we talked about last week on Eagle Eye and just being those middle-of-the-field defenders. Yeah. You make plays you tend to forget about those lapses in judgment yeah, right. or the kind of gambles you take. You know, as a guy gets the football back for the offense. And for all those big plays, you tend to forget about, you know, those ones where he, he might uh, freelance his coverage or, uh, you know, maybe take the cheese on a misdirection.
1: That's right. Well, my, uh, my one play guy last week was Jeremiah Hadel from Texas State. He had that crazy one-handed touchdown uh, in the red zone on a fade. He had a 91-yard punt return touchdown this week. So, two games, two huge plays for uh, the senior receiver. I have not done them yet, but I think we're getting to the point where I might have to uh, to dig in and do some work on Jeremiah Hadle uh, continues to show up. Let's go to uh, now our down-the-road freak show. Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, a freshman or a sophomore to file away for the future here?
2: Yeah, I, look, I get it. It was Missouri State, but Spencer Rattler, registered freshman quarterback at Oklahoma – to 290 yards, four touchdowns. It just looks easy for him out there uh, running Lincoln Riley's offense. He can move around. He can uncork some lasers down the field. Very efficient. It's kind of strange, but if you take Baker Mayfield and you take Kyler Murray and you kind of mold them together, I think the result would look something similar to Rattler with the way he plays. And uh, you just see a little bit of both in his game. So I I realize that's saying quite a bit. That's two former number one overall picks, but – Rattler, he is a fun quarterback to watch, and it's going to be really interesting to evaluate him versus better competition the rest of the season. I'm already looking forward to that Red River shootout in Dallas when we get the the experienced senior in Ellinger versus the, the hotshot redshirt freshman uh, in Rattler. That's going to be a lot of fun. The weird
0: thing about Rattler is he's kind of small. He's kind of a slight bill. He's not super tall. He has a rocket for an arm for his size. He's not a bulky kid either. But there's videos of him chucking at 75 yards, and he looks like he's 180 pounds soaking wet. Was that video
1: from uh, QB1 by any chance, uh, Ben? (laughs) It
0: it could have been, which is a heck of a program out on Netflix. But he broke all those records out in Arizona high school football despite missing a couple games towards the end of his career for some off-the-field issues. Arizona has been pumping out quarterbacks for the last – five, 10, 15 years. So for him to do that is pretty impressive. But the QB one will make you think he might have a little Johnny Manziel in him, a little Mm -hmm. bit of a showman out there. So I hope he uh, kind of matures a little bit out of Oklahoma.
1: Ben, who's your player here?
0: We're going to go to the Clemson Tigers who seem to be, you know, building these kids out in a lab or Petri dishes because this Miles Murphy kid, I don't know where he came from. He's born in 2002 guys. We're here. We're, we're getting kids born in the mid two thousands now. Jeez. 2002, true freshman. He had three TFLs, two sacks uh, in their big win against Wake Forest. He's 6'5". He's 275. He's listed as defensive end. He'll probably slide into three tech. He looks like an explosive, brute, strong freak show that I don't know where they're building these kids, but he's another one in in that line of uh, really impressive trench players.
1: Another name to add to the list. Um, I'll tell you what, watching Notre uh, Dame-Duke game, Isaiah Foskey, this kid was really disruptive, was in the backfield a lot, a sophomore defensive end uh, for that defense. Obviously, they've lost uh, They lost their two starters last year in Khalid Kareem um, and Julian Afara. And there's a lot that's been said. We talked a little bit in our preview of Notre Dame back in the summer that they've got some upperclassmen that are rising. A lot, there were a lot of thoughts of who's going to step in. But I'll tell you what, Foskey was the guy who jumped off the TV screen to me, You know, watching those guys, 6'5", just under 260, this kid looks the part, was really, really disruptive. Uh, Like what I saw from Foskey, just watching those guys uh, on TV this week. Um, All right, so from what we've seen on TV to what we've now seen watching the film back, guys, who's our film room recap? Just one player that you've studied uh, over the last week. I'll go first on this one. I did a little bit of work on Texas linebacker Joseph Asai this weekend. And this is going to be interesting, and I'm excited. I didn't watch the Texas game this weekend. I'm excited to do a little bit more work. Like you said, Dane, the Red River Showdown, excited to kind of see those guys take on Oklahoma and that offensive line. But, you know, last year in that scheme with Todd Orlando, he was basically a stacked linebacker, you know, and he, he lined up not just in the middle of the formation but slightly detached in the slot. It's cool that he got those reps – that's not what he is moving forward, right? I mean, like it's great that he had that, but very few reps as a pure pass rusher. And, it, you know, under like 260 pounds, I mean, I want this guy with his hand in the dirt getting after the passer. You saw it a little bit, but I'm excited to see him take on that full role this year and just see what he looks like. Coming off the edge, it's a new defense with Chris Ash, the former Rutgers head coach, uh, stepping in there as the defensive coordinator. Joseph Asai going into his junior season. Uh, this will be big for him and his projection. It's great that he's got that versatility in his back pocket. Uh, you know those teams that have the you know from the Bill Belichick tree, they line up their defensive players all over the place in the front seven. You know maybe he can be a Kyle Van Noy uh, style of player, but I'm interested to see if he could be a little bit more than that. As a pass rusher, I'm not expecting him to be a, a, a great technician right off the jump, but I'm just interested to see what he looks like down after down as a, a full time pass rusher. Dane, I'll go to you first. Uh, who is a guy that you've put in a lot of work on studying over the last week?
2: Well, this morning I put on the Miami UAB tape from last Thursday and. Subtle I, flex, little flex there. Yeah, well, whenever the tape comes in, it's like, okay, I got a, I'm got not a coffee drinker, so That's it's diet, right. mountain, diet Mountain Dew, and let's go. Quincy uh, Roche, uh, the defensive end. I mean, Miami's got two transfers at defensive end with uh, uh, Jalen Phillips on the other side, who I think is a pretty interesting player. Uh, but Roche, the senior, uh, he's you see the quickness and what you would expect from a guy who's a little undersized, uh, you know, 235 pounds or so. He's quick to pounce, get out of a stance. Uh, he's able to uh, either uh, reach the corner or uh, give uh, blockers really uh, some trouble with that inside move. I, I thought he more than uh, held his own as a-, as a run defender, more so than I thought for a size. He's quick to use his hands, uh, set a hard edge. So there were there were things to like. I- I'm not fully on board with him just just yet because i think against better competition he's gonna have a lot more trouble i want to see him develop better counter moves i think the common trend was if you won early you know you saw him make an impact but if you didn't win early that's where he just had a really tough time disengaging and making an impact so uh some things i want to see from him i thought it was interesting miami used him a couple times as a drop player he would cover some screens and play in space and Uh, did a, did a nice job that way. So, um, but I've seen him being talked about as a first rounder and I don't see that at all. I see, I see a a mid round guy who's trying to get in that top 100 conversation and I think he can do it. And, you know, I I thought, you know, so far he's had a, a pretty good start for the hurricanes. Yeah, he's a really athletic player, too. I just want to see him add, you
0: know, maybe 5, 10 pounds off the edge there. 2018, they actually slid him inside quite a bit and never did that again in 2019. I like seeing him line up at zero and three-tech and maybe take advantage of some bigger, burly offensive linemen. My only notes on Osai from Texas, Fran, is I wrote down, outside linebacker slash DN, massive, absolute tank in a uniform, plays off blocks extremely well, lacks lateral twitch, lacks the foot speed, but he looks like a good-looking good football player, sub package defensive end. So he's a guy with a lot of tools, a lot of physical strengths. I'm going to go backwards here and talking about my guy. Very interesting player here, and some of the names I have written down are very diverse. Okay. I have Tariq Cohen, Tyler Irvin, Eddie Royal. So I have some returner guys, some mm. scat backs, slot receiver. And that's really what this kid is. I don't know if you guys have watched Demetrik Felton at UCLA mm. yet. He's 5'9", 189, so pretty undersized. He was a four-star receiver out of high school, started at receiver in his first two years at UCLA. And then last year, all of a sudden, he plays primarily from the backfield. 84% of his snaps were from the backfield in 2019. Only two snaps from the backfield in 2018 so this is a guy that played from the backfield but was really a slot receiver playing back there and it showed in his versatility at 55 catches for nearly 600 yards and another 300 something yards on the ground so a really good dual threat presence good hands he's a playmaker after catch home run speed he's elusive dynamic in the open field great body control On high pointing the ball and back shoulders, he's competitive and pass pro. He just doesn't have that size or that bulk. He's not a between-the-tackles runner. But some of those names, Irvin, Tariq Cohen, Eddie Royals, this style of player is becoming very popular in the NFL. And if you can make plays with the ball in your hands and you see an offense like Chip Kelly that will profile those opportunities, there's a, a serious, serious place for this kid in the NFL. I'm just not sure where yet. Right now I have kind of an early day three grade just because I'm so confused on where to play him right now what to do with him.
2: But a really, really interesting player. I'm not sure if you guys have studied Do him you yet. see uh, uh, maybe a Tony Pollard type of guy? Is he on that level of athlete?
0: Yeah, I think that's what we're talking. I think even Pollard had a little better size and strength and bulk to him. This kid might be 185 if he got weighed in shorts and a t-shirt. So I'm a little bit worried about the frame, but... I don't know if I want him to add five or 10 pounds and maybe be at the expense of speed or his elusiveness. And, you know, he may just be a returner and a third down kind of scat change of pace back like Tyler Irvin's carved out for the Texans and now the Green Bay Packers.
1: Yeah. I am interested to dig into him because uh, I haven't done him yet, but I've heard a lot of buzz on Dimitri Felton. That's a good name uh, certainly to bring up. Well guys uh, don't go anywhere. It's time now for our next segment. We had so much fun with this last week. We're doing it again. It's time now for on the clock.
3: On the clock.
1: All right, as we welcome back Chris McPherson for another edition of On the Clock, where, uh, again, just as a reminder for the listeners at home, maybe you missed last week uh, where we debated who the number two receiver was in this draft. Basically, Dane, Ben, and myself are going to pound the table for a player in one discussion topic. CMAC will decide who offered the best argument for their player, and then we'll uh, we'll keep track throughout the course of the year. Right now, Dane is in the lead. He did get the win last week uh, with one Jalen Waddle from Alabama. So the question this week, and this is from a listener, so this is a submitted. And if you've got an idea for an argument that you want to hear us have, if you want to hit us up on Twitter or if you want to do it on our Apple Podcast page, I would greatly appreciate if you did that. But the argument this week: Who is the number one defensive tackle, the interior defensive lineman? in this draft. And, Dane, since you went first last week, uh, we're going to go in a little bit of a rotation. Ben, you will go first this week. Who's the player that you are going to pound the table for as the number one defensive tackle?
0: Well, full disclosure, I don't think i are going to be pounding any table. I'm working from home now. This thing's pretty flimsy. It looks like it's ready to go at any second. But we're going to go with big Marvin Wilson down at Florida State, c This kid's 6'5", 3'17". And what you love to tell people is, He's got two-gapper strength with one-gap quickness. And to be his size, his strength, he is a tall, long, bubble-thick leg type of guy. There aren't a lot of people built like this in the NFL. And c I want you to kind of roll back a little bit to those heydays of Albert Hainsworth.
2: When okay. he was at his
0: prime, when Washington was ready to sell the farm for a guy like that. Because he was dominant in Tennessee. And that's the style of player we're looking at. I don't know if he's maybe a quite the Kenny Clark or uh, Jaron Reed and what he's turned into at Seattle, but he's a really impressive player. He's got subtle hand usage in combination with that ability to, you know, hold his gap and get up the field likes that quick arm over move every now and then it'll line up at defensive end. He could turn the corner at 320 pounds. He doesn't have that pursuit speed. Obviously he's enormous. Um, He doesn't have that initial surge really, But he's a good-looking player. He was a high recruit out of Episcopal, Texas. Number one defensive tackle in the class. Showed up uh, this past weekend with two field goal blocks, I believe. So, showing up on special teams as well, which you'd love to see the team's best players play on special teams with the best teams. So I love that Mike Norvell is doing that with his best players, but I just think he has a lot of football ahead of him. I don't think he was used properly the past couple of years. Wasn't always given the free reign to get up the field and to get after quarterback. So if you look at the sack total C-Mac, you're not going to see a whole lot, only five last year, three and a half the year before, but he's a powerful player that I think is going to be a better pro than he ever was in college.
3: I, I will say already out of the gates, Ben, much better job. Agreed. 100%. Week. Much but, better argument. Oh, jeez. I got to go like, back what, like, and hear what I, what I did, put did out go, last week. Did you go to acting class or something? Like, <laughs> it was last week. It was like <laughs> – yeah, he's 6 four. I'm on a debate team, this. actually,
0: guys. I didn't want to come out too strong last week. I, so I, I was gonna down. say,
3: like, you got the juice this week, man. You you, you are you're really right fired up. You are truly upset that I picked Dane last week. I'm I love it. That was he strong, thought the strong. he thought
1: the Drexel hoodie alone was gonna get it done last week. That's <laughs> yeah. really yeah.
3: what it was. Close. It was close. So who goes number two now? That's right. that's All
1: right. strong. All right, so I, I'm gonna go number two. And my pick here, guys. See Mac, I just want you to close your eyes. Picture what the top defensive tackles in the NFL look like. The Eagles have one of them in Fletcher Cox. They're facing off against another one this week in Aaron Donald. They're going to see another one the week after in Geno Atkins. But you think of guys like Chris Jones, you think of DeForest Buckner, Akeem Hicks, uh, Drell Casey. We're talking about the upper echelon of the position. One thing that these guys all have in common is that not only are they very good run defenders – but they are impact pass rushers. And the player that I want to talk about is Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore. And not only are all those guys impact pass rushers, but they have game-wrecking ability as a pass rusher in that they can do it in multiple ways, okay? Barmore is 6'5", 310 pounds. Absolutely looks the part. And you want to talk about stopping the run. This guy is coached by Nick Saban. You don't take the field at Alabama unless you know how to stop the run. So first and foremost, you know he can do that. This guy plays with great technique. He's always square. He's stout on contact. He plays with great hands, and he is a violent finisher as a tackler. You are checking the box there. Next, as a pass rusher, as a backup last year to a preseason All-American in Raquan Davis – Barmore showed every trait that you want as a pass rusher. Initial quickness, check. This kid flies off the ball. Power, not only does this kid shock linemen on contact, but he has that sustaining level of power that you can drive guys backwards into the lap of the quarterback. He is an explosive, powerful athlete. As a technician, absolutely butchered SEC lineman with a quick swim move off the ball. He pairs that with a bull rush that we just talked about. He's got a motor that never quits. And honestly, I talked about that with his teammates. You don't believe me. Ask Shaheen Carter. I talked with him, the Alabama safety out of the Combine. He talked about his competitiveness and his work ethic. That's what was going to make him the breakout star for Alabama this year. I asked Raquan Davis, what, who is the guy that's going to stand out this year? And he said, absolutely, Christian Barmore. His motor is always running. He's always working. He's always coming. And the film backs that up. This guy is an energizer bunny out there, C-Mac. The only question you have to ask about Barmore right now, Can he do it as a full-time player? He's entering his redshirt sophomore season. So he was a backup last year as a redshirt freshman. He played less than 300 snaps last year behind Davis. What will he look like this year as an every-down player? Can he maintain that level of intensity, snap after snap, week after week? Can he take that next step as a technician and get even better? I would argue that he's in a better position to do all of that right now than Quinn and, Williams, Quinn, Quinn and Williams was the year before he made that ascension into the top five picks of the 2019 draft. He is that kind of talent. This guy is a freak show, and I will close it with this, C-Mac. The kid is from Philadelphia, for God's sakes. He went to Philadelphia. He went to school around the corner from Lincoln Financial Field, Newman Garetti High School. This kid is Philly through and through. You cannot deny an Eagles fan a right at this honor. He is the top defensive tackle. Is, is he an Eagles fan? Is he an Eagles fan? I looked it up. I'm.
3: I i do not know that he's <laughs> not. <laughs> okay. Good. Good argument there. All right. All
1: right. Thank
3: you. you thank never you. know. You never. You, you know, never know. So you never
1: know. I, I. I couldn't find proof that he wasn't. <laughs>
0: They just took him out of the package. He's played 200 snaps. He's just a baby, C-Mac. He's oh. a redshirt sophomore. He's got his whole life and career ahead of him, right? <laughs> all right,
1: right Dane. So... what
2: do you got here? Whew, I got to follow pretty, two pretty good arguments there. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, C-Mac, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture for you. All okay. right. You can imagine a football player. He's 6'6", 330 pounds, all right? Length for days, naturally powerful. He's got some burst to his movements. I'm talking about Jordan Davis over at Georgia. His ability to uh, win the point of attack, make it really tough on blockers to control him, really stands out. He plays hungry. He plays active. He plays with natural strength. And listen, sources tell me it was down to Mark Ruffalo and Davis to see who was going to play the Hulk in the Avengers. So that's that's an important part of this. Now, all right, full transparency. He's still raw in areas. He's, he's blessed beyond belief, but he's still working through how to use all of his skills and figuring out how to be more efficient with his hands and, you know, the body leverage as a pass rusher, but clogs up run lanes, continues to get better and better. And uh, the coaches have raved uh, about his talent and said, their expe- expectations for him this season are sky high. So uh, this is uh, kind of like Ben was saying, this is not a very uh, exciting defensive ca- tackle class, uh, so to say, but you know, this is if we're in, a, in a tackle class like this, I'm going to bet on the guy with all the traits and a guy that's going to get better and better and better. And to me, that's Jordan Davis. I think he has a similar trajectory as Akeem Hicks, who we have seen really grow and blossom uh, in Chicago with what he's done.
0: But C-Mac, he played 260 snaps last year, 250 the year before. I mean, Marvin Wilson's (laughs) up to 500 the year before, 500 last year. He's playing special teams out here. You know, once your guys get on the field, we can properly evaluate them. But until then, you know, it's just not enough body of work.
3: Did did, did Dane even finish? I was yeah, be- I
0: said he was done.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very interesting that I note in the
0: you got to bring the counter arguments. You know, you gotta, you gotta bring, I can't I let them just that. serve these guys up without a little pullback down. So if you have any Marvin Wilson slander, that's no that, that's, out
1: that's there fair. Right now,
3: all right? Let's bring it on the table
1: of the three. Of the three, I think that Marvin Wilson has the least ability to be able to close and finish. Right? Like he's got that initial surge but it's that secondary quickness. And to me, like, you know, we talked about that last year with Derek Brown and Derek, great player, like love Derek Brown, love Marvin Wilson. But when you're talking about like, again, it goes back to what I was saying about like, who are the elite defensive tackles? It's those guys that can get into the backfield and consistently finish. I feel one guy on those three uh, has that ability.
0: Wilson gets crushed on double teams, too. He's got some poor technique. He relies on his God-given ability, which is incredible, incredible God-given ability. So once
2: we get the technique down, now we're cooking with gas here. You talk so much about all the snaps that he's had. Well, where's the production then?
0: I, 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 I see a he's, guy he's with run plugging, you know, two gapping, you know, just creating oh, lanes for those linebackers, so... doing all the all the gritty, dirty so, work, you know. We, we draft
3: those guys high when we could get them later on. The good ones. Oh, let's Ooh, go, let's go. C-Mac, this what do you got this for us? Spicy. I like this. It's interesting because fans like myself love the NFL comparisons, and I know that's such a slippery slope to go down. But it's interesting that each of you guys brought that to the table here to help, quote-unquote, as you guys say, paint the picture. So very, very, very good on that front. That that really did allow me to sit here. And I don't know if it's like, is it an issue where I'm just sitting here and it's like I'm going through daydreaming of all these talented defensive linemen. You know, again, you guys talk about Fletcher Cox here in Philly. We're going to see Aaron Donald, you know, when the Rams come to Philadelphia this week. So lot, lots of great comparisons here. So, drum roll, please. We're gonna go for the winner for week two here. And I will say we will not have a repeat winner. Dane, there's good effort. I think it's, it was tough coming up last there. You know, all strong arguments there. I like the the, the Hulk analogy there, thinking that he was a guy who was gonna be cashed for the Hulk. So if we're going between Fran and Ben, I'm gonna give it to Marvin Wilson. Oh, you gotta be 90. kidding me. <laughs> ben, just 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 such a strong. You go from year one to year two is the biggest development for an NFL player. Week one to week two, I thought Ben did a great job developing his arguments here. So kind of did a great job setting the stage. Great with the counter arguments. So overall, look, three good options. I'm intrigued by all of them. Maybe if we knew he was an Eagles fan, Fran, that that would have put him Ah. over the top. But I'm going to go Marvin Wilson, Florida State. Ben, I'll I'll give you the, uh, the nod this week. Part of me almost wanted to just go with Fran just to keep, Ben scoreless and see how long we can just kinda keep that keep that rolling. So
0: my only thought here is I feel like the Ed Norton Hulk doesn't get enough love, you know, considering the new era of the Avengers. But you know, we'll save that for our uh,
2: superhero podcast. I mean, right.
1: I lo- uh, love an Ed Norton, but I don't know about that Hulk movie though. I mean, yeah, no. we'll save yeah. it yeah. for. Well, we Eric Bana next.
2: I mean, yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> on. All right.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, Ben, well done. Congratulations. I, I agree with C-Mac. Huge improvement from last week. C-Mac, you're fired. We'll talk to you back in, in January. <laughs> uh, no, the guys, good stuff. Uh, we will talk to you guys all. Next week, Ben, we'll talk to you later on this week. Thanks for again for all of you guys for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.
0: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
1: Well, I can't believe that C-Mac, uh really decided that he was going to go with Ben Fennel with the win there. But uh, such is life. That's how the cards fell. I felt like I made the best argument. We'll see for uh, for next week here. Let's go to our questions here. And again. Quick reminder, anybody who loves what they're hearing so far here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA, or if you've got a question that you want answered, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to go to write him who left a five-star review. longtime listener, Wilton Houston, said, Hey, my alma mater, North Carolina A&T, has two players that made preseason All-America teams. Running back Jermaine Martin and defensive end Jermaine McDaniel was wondering if their tape has a draftable grade. So, Wilt. All cards in the table have not studied NCA&T yet after the, up to this point. But that being said, I did a little work for you. did some legwork for you because that's what I do. If you leave a rating, if you leave a comment, guess what? I'm going to put in the, the extra mile for you guys. And that's exactly what I did. I talked with uh, a friend who coaches in the MIAC, knows these players in and out, has coached against them uh, for a handful of years now. Well, here's what I got. He said Jermaine Martin, the running back, legitimate NFL player. And again, I have not done him yet, but the coach told me Martin is an absolute dog, talked about his balance and his center of gravity, how hard he is to tackle. So uh, good sign there for Jermaine Martin. Again, uh, preseason All-American, certainly, according to my one source, a draftable prospect uh, moving into 2021. Obviously, we won't see Jermaine Martin suit up here this fall. We'll see if he decides that he's going to opt into the NFL draft or if he'll go back for another free year of eligibility next year. I'm excited to do him as we get through the rest of this process. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Hope you guys have enjoyed the new format. We will talk to you here later this week. Ben Fennell, Ross Tucker, and a guest excited for what we've got here this week later on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.